0: Hello and welcome to the first summer uh, edition of First Time Long Time. I'm your host, Roman, with my co-host,
1: Nathan Chen. See you again, Roman. This is Nathan.
0: Hello, Nathan. Very excited for you to be here. Nathan just finished being the sports executive of the Georgetown Voice and is entering into a graceful retirement. However, First Time Long Time podcast stops for no one. Well, maybe it may will at some point, but not today. Uh um, to kick us off, we're going to start off with a new segment this week in sports history. Um, and this one, I'm going to give it totally to Nathan because I know this is a, a, a time in his life that he remembers very fondly. This week in 2018, uh, June 7th to be precise, the Washington Capitals hoisted the Stanley Cup for the first time in franchise history. Nathan, why don't you just go off for a couple minutes? Tell us what that time in your life was like and uh, what it means to you today.
1: Yeah, it was a very special week. Um, you know, DC has been a long-suffering sports town. Up until 2018, no team had advanced past the second round um, for 20 years. Um, so, and obviously, the Capitals were kind of the focus of a lot of that heartbreak. They've they've had they've had some her, you know horrific series against Montreal and Pittsburgh and the New York Rangers. Um, and just struggled so much and they finally put it all together in this one magical run. Um, and it wasn't just, it, you know, as with any cup winner, it wasn't just the top line guys that produced. It was the, it was bottom six guys gr- that grinded it out. Devontae Smith-Pelly in particular, seven goals in the playoffs after I think five in the regular season. Uh, so he, he, he really showed out and elevated his play. And um, just, just on a more personal note, um was it was one of the happiest moments, happiest weekends of my life. Me and like 10 of my buddies went downtown to watch, uh to watch at the arena um the cup clinching game, gate five. And you know, it it's just it's a sea of red and like and everybody's the everybody there is trying to somehow work towards this common goal. And so so you know you get to you get to meet all kinds of different strangers who who are who are devoted Caps fans just like you, and when they when they finally won it and and the puck dropped, uh, with 0. 0.6 seconds left and they knew and they knew they were going to win. It. That arena was ready to explode. Never been in a building any louder. It was just a magical run, and the Caps mean so much to this community, um, especially Ovechkin and Backstrom, the two guys who have been who have been here the longest, and really really made this their home and their city both guys coming in as for as you know european players they've you know they they've owned the city they've owned the city and they've elevated the level of hockey play and they've brought along such deep commitment from the fan base and so it, it was just it was just a magical weekend there, there's nothing more you can ask for as a, as a sports fan than that first championship that your team wins
0: yeah, I, I think I, – I mean, obviously, my team, the San Jose Sharks, has never hoisted the Stanley Cup, but we don't need to talk about that right now. Um, but one thing I remember about that 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 Capitals team is that those guys have been together for a while. They were not a very different team than they had been in years past. I mean, I was just looking at the Wikipedia pages. They picked up Kemp- Kempney at the deadline. They signed Smith-Pelly coming into the year. But other than that, they these were the guys that they had – gone to war with for years in the past, you know, Baxter and Ovechkin obviously for longer than others, but, you know, what was it like to have these guys that you knew? It wasn't like just, you know, a, a band of mercenaries coming in. Like these guys were the capitals. It's
1: kind of interesting that you put it that way because I thought the team, I thought, you know, between 2017, the end of the 17 playoffs, when they had won the president's trophy, but lost in the second round to Pittsburgh I thought that team was very, very different from um, the one going into 17-18 season. I the the one big loss that I remember was Marcus Johansson, and they had had some they would had some other losses too. I think along the blue line they they lost Carl Alsner to Montreal, where he and, and he said he wanted to go someplace where he could win, which um, that that royally backfired on him. But we still love Carl around these parts. But yeah, the, a lot of the core pieces were still there, and you knew they had the talent. You knew they had tried so hard, but you know they ran into, they always would run into a stone wall. They ran into Halak, or they ran into the greatest goalie of this generation in Lundqvist. Um, and and the Pittsburgh the Pittsburgh teams always always found a way to jump on us early in the series. Um, but yeah, to see that to see that crew break through, it was it was just so rewarding because these are the guys that you you've always had around the community. These are the guys who've made their lives here, you know, built their families here, easily accessible guys, guys you could just approach on the street at any time and say, hello, take a picture, which is what I did with Kuznetsov. Um, Yeah. They're just, they were our guys and they, they never had any sense of sort of entitlement or any air of, air of superiority about them they were they were just like us and they had and they had given everything they had and more to this community uh especially the work that you know guys like Holpe or TJ Oshi have done within the community you know within the the work they do with pride it's just it means a lot it means a lot to have those guys finally break through at the highest level and you know crush all the all the demons crush all the narratives That they couldn't get it done, because they got it done.
0: A good time, a good time. Remember, and that is this week in sports history. Um, gonna do a quick look around the sports world before we have a new caller calling in a little later on in the the pod. Um, today it is June 10th when we were recording this podcast, and um, we're right in in the middle of baseball season. You know, the All Star Game is still about a month away. So, um, but we're getting into the kind of midway point to the year almost. Um, Our two teams, the Giants and the Nats, are actually playing this week, which is uh, exciting, which we don't need to talk about because it probably won't be relevant. Two teams going in different directions at the moment. Um, And I guess we could just kind of talk about that for a second. Um, I, you know, talking about like some surprises of this early season, Um, the Giants definitely have to be considered one of the surprises, you know, it was supposed to be a two horse race in the MLB West and the NL West, sorry. And uh, that would be the Padres and the Dodgers. And while the Padres and Dodgers have been quite good, um, the giants have been there right with them and are still in the, still in the first place in the division as of June 10th, which is pretty crazy coming into the year. Um, and I mean, obviously Arizona and Colorado are not very good teams, so it's a very stratified division. Um, but it's been exciting to see some excitement back in like the giants, Dodgers, right. Really the Giants Padres semi-rivalry like these three teams don't like each other very much I won't lie to you um and it's nice to not be the one getting beat up on uh I I must tell you myself but um what are things looking out looking like over in the NL East it's kind of a bit of a dogfight right now
1: yeah I it's weird because I I just can't tell if they're because these are the the NL East going into the season you expect it to be close because the quality of the of the teams are high you know going in, you think, well, the Met, well, at least I thought, I thought the Mets had the, had the most talent, um, in the division. Atlanta has traditionally been very good last, last couple of years, and they've got a solid rotation, and obviously a monster lineup. Um, Philadelphia's lineup is not bad and Miami and Washington both have great, great pitching staffs, but, um, uh, four of, four of the five teams are below 500, with the Mets being the lone exception. And uh, Washington is just—they've, you know, they've they've never really built up their farm system. They never really had young players uh, that they've kept around for very long because they were trying to go for what they did in 2019 and they, they got it. They got their championship at least, but that window is, that window seems to be closed shut um, with the worst farm system in the majors and um, a staff where only one of the rotation guys is producing at the level you would like him to. And so, um, and, and the, obviously the lineup aside from Turner and Soto there's not too much there in terms of offense, and so they they they've kind of been struggling this season. Um, they're eight games under 500, and everybody keeps thinking about oh, 19 and 31. They came back, but I think this this might be it. They might be relegated to this sort of fate
0: for for quite a
1: while here.
0: It's a rough look as somebody who followed a team that had a championship window for sure. Um, and then didn't improve the farm system and went through some lean years. It's uh, not looking great for the nationals, but you know, you kind of just got to hope that your general manager and your case Rizzo has you know, the right mindset in mind going forward, especially coming up with the trade deadline. Um, and, you know, just got to be realistic sometimes, which um, isn't which what she won't be, which she won't <laughs> be, you if know, these you people's jobs be.
1: are fine. Because Mike Rizzo comes from that – Mike Rizzo comes from the um, Arizona Arizona system, right, where, you know, you just load up on starting pitching, get a couple guys to carry the lineup, and, like, because they won in 2001, like, they believe that formula works, even though they barely won in 2001, and it required Mariano Rivera to be a bad fielder. Um, and so we might be entering into the same type of area, but, again – Banners fly forever. Championships are forever.
0: True. Can never take that away. Um, little look around um, other parts of the standings before we can get into some early awards predictions. If you're good with that, um, rest the NL central, that's going to be a dogfight, of course, between the Brewers, Cubs, Cardinals. And I, mean, you can never really count out the Reds. Only you, be- you can count out the other guys in that, in that okay. division. I, I the, Pir- the pirates are bad. <laughs> that's, that's just a fact. Adam Frazier has had a tremendous year at second base. The rest of that roster minus maybe Brian Reynolds. I don't know. is Brian Hayes. Maybe Brian Hayes has a long career ahead of him. You're right. Yeah. Other than that, there- this is a four horse division um, with four teams within five games, the reds, are a team that'll win you nine in a row and then lose seven in a row. So can't really count them out. Can't really consider them a top contender, but Brewers, Cubs, Cardinals, those are teams that are parentally good. Cardinals are going to be in the wild card, hard, wild card hunt every single year. It doesn't matter who they have on the field. They could have, you know, the frozen body of David Eckstein at second base and they they win. have the devil magic. That's what they got they the devil. It's, it's, it's the devil magic. Um, the American league, um, the Yankees for all the all the pieces on I think pieces out there about how they are done for done for and they have nothing left. They're still five and a half games out in the American League East. Um, probably not going to win that division. I think the Rays came into the year as the favorite, are going to win that division, but they're firmly in the wild card hunt. I think with both the Blue Jays and the Red Sox. Yeah. Red Sox have been a surprising team this year.
1: Yeah, yeah. Wait, we need to talk about Boston here. I cannot believe that their rotation is, is doing what they're doing. Like you look at that. If you look at their rotation on, on paper, like you would think they have no chance of contending because you know Sale isn't Sale, and I don't think he's even pitched this year. And Ivaldi, like you don't you don't think of him as, um, you don't think of him as an ace. And Rodriguez, like. You think of him as a workhorse, but not like a, not like Scherzer, not like Degrom, right? Um, you think of him as k- kind of workhorse, inning eaters guy, and then and then Pivetta's really overperformed. I, I don't know how they're doing it. Their lineup is legit, but I have no idea how the rotation is doing it.
0: These are guys that I mean they they've been around. You know, I have baseball cards for guys like Martín Perez and Garrett Richards. But they, this is a team that's been ineffective. These pitchers have been ineffective in recent years. Um, been injured. Garrett, I mean, Garrett Richards is always injured. But you know, Pavetta, Perez, these were not the guys who came into the year thinking, oh, this is a this is a good bullpen. This is a good rotation. The bullpen's been strong. Matt Barnes has really come into his own as their closer. Um, and they just got a lot of you know guys that that are putting in some work. And you know, they, I wouldn't say their uh, lineup is is particularly like. It's kind of slanted towards one side, but when you got Bogarts, Devers, Devers. Martinez, Martinez yeah, in the middle of that lineup, you're going to score. You know, Verdugo has been really Verdugo's good. Verdugo having a nice year. Um, which, I mean, it's still asinine that they traded Mookie Betts, but that makes it feel a little bit better, I think. Um, going back to the AL Central really quick. We'll just spin through the Central and the West really fast. The White Sox, they're the best team in that division. Um it's a little shocking to me to see where the twins are. Obviously um, injuries hit them with Buxton and others, but you know, both the twins and the Indians are two teams where it doesn't seem like they were trying very hard to get better in the past couple of years, even though that window was open. Um, and now the white Sox, everybody's been like all the white Sox have the farm system. A couple of years just watch and here they are They're there. They've arrived. So yeah. Um, can't pretend to know what was going on in the Twins front office thoughts, but um, I I don't get it. And the AL West, A's and Astros feels like every year at this point it's going to be them two duking it out till the end. Yeah,
1: we we need to talk about the Angels. They are the, have, you could they, argue that they have three of three or four of the top ten players in baseball, and you know they have no chance at winning anything. <laughs>
0: It's ridiculous. And you can't even point to Mike Trout being injured at this point because they weren't going anywhere with him at the beginning and no one's stepped up, right? It's it's a mess. It's just the world... We deserve to see Trout and Otani in the playoffs. We deserve to see Rendon on the biggest stage again. We deserve some of their lesser-known guys to kind of come into, the, come into their own. Jared Walsh mashes at first base. They're just... It's, it, it's a front office failure from the front to the back every single year. They never figured out the pitching. No. Okay. And our final thing that I wanted us to talk about is a little fun, little hypothetical for you. If we were given bionic arms, throwing, so in that they don't get tired, but it still throws only as hard as we can throw. Okay. How long how many tries would it take for us to no hit the mariners?
1: So like we th- so like we throw nine innings and that's that counts as one try. Yeah. I, I don't know. I'm interested. To, I'm I'm interested to hear what you say first. Just because like like I don't even I don't know I don't know how hard I can throw. I don't know if I if I'm even touching 50, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. But you know, I'm seeing with guys on the mound like Anthony Rizzo or Williams Estudios – who can, you know, carve them up with a little bit of an ethos pitch action. Um, but a no-hitter, that's just that's just A no-hitter's tough. tough. However, it seems to me, with the way no-hitters have been going in the in the MLB this season, anybody could no-hit a team like the Mariners or a team like Cleveland that's just getting no-hit over and over again. I think it would take me 50 tries. I think, you know, I'd work to get down, like, which pitches work when and where. Um i think i could do it i really do all right here, here here's my thing um i'm
1: never gonna match up to you know professional hitters right like these are these are still these are still professionals like statistically if i don't get tired ever i'm gonna get a no hitter at some point but it would sure. take me pro- like i would guess it would probably take me like a hundred thousand to two hundred thousand tries Because just because it's, it's just, it's just so hard. Although what I would do is I would, I would kind of cheat the rules and just throw everything down because I don't get tired and you know, walks are irrelevant to the situation. (laughs) Right. So just throw everything down. And if you walk guys, like hope,
0: hope for a double play ball. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Get a little sink going there. And here, I'm going to add another caveat. You can learn from your previous tries, but they can't. So it's not like they can time your stuff. It's like they're seeing you for the first time each time. But also, like
1: also, the 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 movement of the ball doesn't really change
0: when it, when the ball's moving that slow. That's true. But I think by time thirty five, I can get a little bit of sinking action on there and get a little bit of a swing and miss going. I think fifty. You think a hundred thousand? I think. I think. I think-
1: I just think because, like, I've never trained for it. it hundred thousand to two hundred thousand, maybe, maybe I'd be training by that point.
0: We're just working on the side with our bionic arms. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, so we're gonna go to a quick break. Um, as we play this elevator music for you, and when we get come back, we're gonna have our first guest of the summer. And we're back. We have a special guest with us today, Emory. Please introduce yourself.
2: Hey guys, uh, longtime listener, first time caller. I'm Anne Marie. I'm the editor in chief of The Voice, and I'm here um, to talk about conspiracy theories. Because while I know nothing about sports, I do love a good conspiracy.
0: Yes, Today is main topic is NBA conspiracy theories. Um, so we got the conspiracy theory expert with us. We got some NBA pretend experts with us. Um, and uh, we're excited to see where this thing goes. So um, what we have in front of us, which um, maybe we'll even put in the uh, podcast description, is a um, an iceberg graphic with a bunch of conspiracy theories on it, going from definitely true to galaxy brained I still think they're true type conspiracies. And um, so we're gonna use those. Um, and we're only going to pick a couple because there's a lot on here, but rest assured, a lot of them are in our minds. Um, so I figure we'll go from most realistic to least realistic, Nathan. Does that, that make sense? Even though they're all realistic. Yeah, um, it sounds like fun. I, I say we set the scene for Anne-Marie, and then Anne-Marie weighs in with her expert analysis. Um, so we'll start off with um, a classic of the genre. Michael Jordan, as many of us know, uh, is one of the greatest basketball players of all time. There is a very famous game in the Michael Jordan canon known as the flu game, um, where he came to play, uh, allegedly with the flu, um, to play a game between the Bulls and the Jazz. And um, over the past summer, the last dance played, and it's been pretty much confirmed Um in my eyes, that um, he didn't actually have the flu; he had a hangover. He blames it on some bad pizza delivered. Um, Nathan, why don't we uh, set the scene for Amory with how that pizza went? Yeah,
1: so um, so we're looking at the 1998 NBA Finals Game Five between the Chicago Bulls and the Utah Jazz, and um, Michael Michael um, Michael doesn't sleep very much like that that's kind of a that's kind of a well-known thing about him and um and so yeah he he claimed in the documentary that he had um that he had ordered a pizza uh and and he thought it was suspicious because there were i think multiple people like the number was it was between three and five people that all came to deliver the pizza together and so so uh, he thought he had caught some sort of foodborne illness when he didn't feel well the next morning, but um, many speculate that Jordan it, Jordan was really saying this as a cover up for a hangover because he was known to kind of live the high roller life. He he had a certain status about him, and he also knew that he did. Um, so yeah, I want want to hear your opinion on this first. You know, was he? Did he really get in get foodborne illness from the pizza, which was which he was um delivered at like two or three in the morning? He does say that. Um, or or do we think that there's not enough there?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think the hangover theory makes total sense. Like, look, I've had someone tell me that tell me the exact same thing um, right before doing a show at Georgetown and then just like hide in the back vomiting clearly from a hangover. I think that it's, I think that that's very plausible. The other thing I'd add is I don't think that, I mean, I guess it depends, but food poisoning, that's, that's could be a pretty quick hit for food poisoning, to be honest, if it was like a two or 3 a.m. pizza and the game the next day, like I would expect like a 24 hour delay on that. Um, So I think that that makes total sense. And there's, I mean, there's no reason he would want to say that he had a hangover. Um, I'm sure, like, I'm sure, I'm sure that there have been PR, you know, explanations of why people's playing was suffering a little bit when that was the real, real explanation. This was just an easy one to figure out.
1: Yeah. Yeah. In my mind, there's, there's no question about it. Um, also it was the 97 finals, not 98. So my mistake there. Um, but yeah, Mike, Michael had 38 in the game and he hit, um, he hit a game winning shot. Uh, kind of at the end of the game when you have food poisoning you can't you don't have those sudden bursts of energy Um, and you know he got better as the game went on so which is like that's also another typical Jordan thing but um, but yeah I, I, I just don't think you can muster up that much energy to be playing basketball games with serious food poisoning if it had kicked in so soon
2: No, better as the game went on 100% says to me, sweat out all the alcohol by the first half. Like that's
0: 100%. (laughs) Well, I think that one's pretty clear. Another one that's um, a a fan favorite um, conspiracy theory um, that has to do with Georgetown a little bit is um, the New York Knicks frozen envelope in the draft lottery. Um, This is... um, what year is this, 1986, 1985? 85. 85. Uh, Patrick Ewing is the consensus number one um, pick in the NBA draft. Um, One of the greatest college basketball players of all time, led Georgetown to three national championship appearances. Um, The New York Knicks had been falling a little bit, but um, one of the things you know about the NBA is they love their big market teams and they love Madison Square Garden and they love the Knicks. Um, So... The way the NBA draft lottery used to work, now it works with like ping pong balls and is very random. But it used to be um, different envelopes in a in like a what is it like a bowl or something like that. That the the word is tumbler. It's like a large sphere that like tumbler gets them to bounce around and stuff. However, so video exists of the commissioner sticking his hand in, picking out who's going to be the first overall pick. It's supposed to be random. The conspiracy theory here is is that the league wanted Patrick Ewing to go to the Knicks. They wanted the biggest name to go to the biggest team. So the conspiracy theory is they froze the envelope, making it colder, that had the Knicks name on it, put it in there, and there's video of David Stern reaching in and feeling his way around different envelopes to touch different ones to to figure out which one was frozen. We're all pretty certain on this, but I'd love to hear your thoughts, Emory, because lo and behold, would you look at that? Everybody before the draft was like, let's see if you can go to the Knicks because everyone wanted that. And the league said, okay, we'll give it to you.
2: I mean, honestly, I'm just more surprised that we only have one example of a time this might <laughs> happen. Like, this feels like, like, that's clearly not, like, that's clearly a randomized system that's very easy to rig. Um, and if the entire league, you know, has incentive either for like marketing revenue or just for like general hype to make sure that a couple teams get some of the biggest names or even just to like, even out the I mean, you know, the way that it works in baseball, even if you're just trying to even out the competition a little bit and want to give some of the leagues, the biggest, some of the teams, the biggest names that's not surprising at all. Um, And there's no reason. I mean, if it's supposed to be a random tumbler where they've all been moved around, there's no reason to go fishing around in there. The whole point is you don't have to do that. um, And it's done it for you. So that definitely indicates he knew he was looking for something.
1: Yeah, this is not, um a theory this is canon like this is definitely (laughs) a fact um I would also heard a different version though where where um David Cern who was the commissioner at the time he looked for a folded envelope like the Knicks envelope had a slight fold in the corner and also he would like and also like right before he takes it out he bangs the envelope on the side of the uh on the side of the tumbler um this is canon like this is this is a fact Uh, I just I wonder how differently things would have played out if Ewing didn't stay at Georgetown for a senior year, though, if he comes out of of his junior year and and he's the national champion and they just beat Hakeem Olajuwon, who ended up being the number one pick in that previous year. I wonder how things would have gone. I wonder how the draft would have gone down, because there's some great Hall of Famers in that one, too, including Michael Jordan at the third pick and Charles Barkley at the fifth.
0: Yeah, no, I, I think this is – that's a good what if, but I think this is a pretty – another cut and dried – cons- this is a true conspiracy theory. Moving right along to the next tier, which is not – nowhere near confirmed, however pro- – I'm leaning – I've always thought this was true. Um, in tier two, we have – we're going back to the – to Michael Jordan, and um, as is well known at this point, Michael Jordan stepped away in the prime of his career um, to play baseball, which – the, the, I have no problem with, with multi-sport athletes, Bo Jackson, people, amazing, amazing stars. Michael Jordan was not a good baseball player. He was an objectively bad baseball player, I would dare say. Um, and he steps away in his prime for the Chicago Bulls to play minor league baseball for the Chicago White Sox. This is insane to me. And the conspiracy theory is, is that Michael Jordan had a gambling problem. And this was a quiet suspension from the league for said gambling issues. To me, this is the only thing that makes sense. Nathan, what, what are your thoughts on this?
1: Yeah, I agree. Um, it's funny because there's uh, there's two Michael Jordan gambling um, theories on this iceberg. And and I, I wasn't totally sure which one we were going to discuss, but uh, I'm glad it's this one because I'm more familiar with it. Uh, yeah, the NBA has no – they have no way to suspend – their biggest star right like 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 this is the this is the guy that made the league into what it is today S- you know skyrocketing revenue skyrocketing salaries almost single-handedly because of michael jordan um i yeah i i think that i think that they definitely had to try and get his gambling under control um but there's just no plausible way to do it other than um other than forcing him to retire and you see that a lot too with like prominent college programs where uh a coach like Chris Mullen at St. John's for example who's like the greatest player in their history he retires as the coach but really is forced out so like it it makes it makes total sense like I I'm I'm ready to say that like that's probably fact too
2: yeah listen maybe I'm just I'm just pretty cynical on this, the, the PR, but a hundred percent, I agree with this too. I mean, first of all, there's no, like, there's nothing appealing about playing minor league baseball when you could be like the greatest basketball player of your time. Like why there's nothing good about that. And there's also more of a chance that because you're doing like different things that you end up hurting yourself and jeopardizing your basketball career, which doesn't make sense either. Um, yeah, I a hundred percent, I a hundred percent agree with that. And I think that It would make sense also as a way to get, you know, a little bit of the press attention off if he's not traveling with the same team, if he's not, you know, always in the spotlight in the same way, maybe more time to go talk to someone about gambling problems, maybe more time to do any of that as well.
0: All right. We're going to jump up a couple of tiers now. Um, And I'm going to I'm going to give this one to Nathan because this is uh, one of his personal favorites. And there's going to be a uh, some pictures attached that um, we'll be showing Anne-Marie. Um, but this uh, this has to do with uh, an NBA future Hall of Famer, Paul Pierce. Um, Nathan, why don't you just take us into the, set, set the scene here, really, really bring us into the world.
1: Yeah, so um, talking about Paul Pierce, uh, this is from game one of the 2008 NBA Finals between the Lo- Los Angeles Lakers and the Boston Celtics. Um, so I think somewhere in like the third quarter, something like that, Paul Pierce like suddenly goes down with an, with an injury. And it looks like it's a leg injury. He's holding his leg. And you can see that this is the really famous image that he has to be carried off um, on the wheelchair to go back to the locker room. Uh, But in the fourth quarter, he comes out and not only does he come out um, with like, I think seven minutes to go or so Roman, you could uh, fact check me on this. Uh, he comes out with like seven minutes to go, and not only does he come out, he's got like a little bounce in his step. And so, um, one of his Celtic teammates, Kevin Garnett, said that he remembered Paul Pierce coming out of the locker room with with the bounce in his step, and he and he said, "Okay, we're we're good to go. It's go time." And Paul Pierce, I think, dropped four, 40 plus something like that uh, to lead the Celtics to victory. And so the the theory here is that Paul Pierce did not injure his leg. He didn't play that fourth quarter with the miraculous effort um, on an injured leg. But the theory is that he had, he had, um, he needed to use the bathroom. And so, so there's, there's a couple different variants of this theory. One is that he needed an excuse to go to the bathroom, but the other is that he pooped his pants and um, just the way that the way that he exits, how, how, how soon he comes back out of the locker room um, and obviously leaving on a wheelchair so you can't you can't see anything. Um, you can't see anything down there. This is Can. He pooped his pants like that that I, I totally believe that. I'm interested to hear your thoughts.
0: I'll just say. For people who've had tough leg injuries, they get stretched off. They they, they don't bring wheelchairs out to get you out of the game.
2: Yeah. I mean, I guess first question is, is there, I don't know this, is there a protocol? Like, what do you do if you're a basketball player and you have to go to the bathroom, but you're in the game? You just, you just wait? That's the.
0: Usually you you get subbed out, you know, you'll call and you'll run over to the locker room um, and take care of what you need to do. I don't think there's never been as high profile of mid game. um, Dare I say using during the game of the bathroom. Um, But uh, that's the general protocol.
2: I mean, yeah, that seems weird for a leg injury, something that you need to stop playing immediately and be taken all the way off the court probably doesn't fix itself that quickly unless something just like popped in and out of place in which case I still like that still doesn't seem right um so yeah I'm, I'm I'm willing to believe it I'm a little more skeptical than the other ones but I think that I think that that makes sense it's also just it's a very like dramatic exit to make um which is just interesting to me because I feel like even if you're injured you don't always want to I don't know. You don't want to make it seem like you're like drastically hurt and you're like a weak player. So the the straight dropping to the floor is also a bit suspicious.
1: Yeah. So um adding on a bit more context to this, when he was on ESPN at one point during uh Rachel Nichols' show, The Jump, Paul Pierce had said, um Paul Pierce had admitted to this. Like he had said, he he'd either said, I, I had to use the bathroom or or I went in my pants I don't think he said he went in his pants but he did say something about going to the bathroom and then somebody asked him wait so this is real and then he quickly like he quickly corrected himself and he was like no 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 I didn't I didn't have to use the bathroom so like like he's admitted it this is this is fact at this point
2: yeah yeah no in that case yeah that totally feels like he like forgot that it wasn't time to fully own up to that yet and he said it and then he was like oh wait no not yet um, yeah, okay. Now I'm on board. I'm hundred percent on board. All right,
0: sick. Now we're gonna get into a couple more fun ones. Um, well, first, first, this one's gonna go out to Jake Levin, um, because he expressed a lot of like for this conspiracy theory. Ben Simmons, one of the best and one of the NBA's best young players today, Emory. He does everything well in the basketball court, except one thing. He can't shoot. Even a little bit. He can't. Make a jump shot. I have seen Josh Klein make more jump shots in Yates than I've ever seen Ben Simmons make in his life. Some have said Ben Simmons is even shooting with the wrong hand, perhaps on purpose. We'll get into that in a second. The conspiracy theory here is that Ben Simmons, such a bad three point shooter. He's made what two in his career, maybe um, he doesn't even shoot him at this point. I mean, He still scores like 20 points a game because he goes straight to the rack and he can make He's long and strong and he just makes layups. The species thing is this. Ben Simmons is waiting. Ben Simmons has been biding his time, shooting three-pointers with the wrong hand. Waiting to be in this first NBA finals. At which point he will unleash the fact that he is an above average three-point shooter with his right hand and score 30 points a game leading the Philadelphia 76ers to a national title. Dude. <laughs> I'm not going to lie, evidence is not there. There is no no nothing I can say to you. From a from a statistical evidence standpoint, that will make this seem true. It's a gut feeling thing. Ben Simmons has never been to the NBA championships. We don't know what he would be like in the finals. We do know he has a whack shooting motion. That much is true. That much we can promise. Um, that I'm pretty sure he shoots his he shoots with his left hand, right, and he like goes yeah. to his right. He's more confident with his right hand in most yeah. other aspects. Yeah, he is truly atrocious at shooting three pointers. Honestly, in a stunning way, like I like there are bad three point shooters in the NBA that are still better than him. That can still at least make an open three pointer. Draymond Green, who Draymond, is not here. Draymond Green, <laughs> he can make an open three pointer. Ben Simmons cannot make an open. Three the argument here is that he's been biding his time. Everyone leaves him open at the three point line. No one tries to guard him. He's going to bust this out when this team needs it the most and ride it to a championship. Henry, what
2: are your thoughts? Well, okay. Do okay. Do I believe ah. maybe he's a, he's trying in practice to get better and that he's just relying on layups and games because he knows he can do it and he's not going to risk embarrassing himself as much on the court with some shooting? Yes. Maybe will he be better by the time they get to a game if they're in a tough spot, he'll try. Maybe. But I don't think also I don't think the strategy is there. Like, if you leave him open for one three-point shot, maybe it takes them a couple minutes to kind of reset their defense. But, like, I don't – it's not like everyone is just going to not see it and then for the rest of the game, he's just going to be open for three-pointers. Like, they'll figure it out once he makes a couple. Like, that's not that big of an asset to have. Um, so I just – also, I mean, I don't know why you would want to be known as the guy who can't shoot a ball. Like, I feel like the second that you figure out that you can – even if you don't do it all the time you don't like just hurl it in the air which is kind of the description i'm i'm what i'm seeing from your description so yeah i don't i don't know why he would do that
0: it's I a long con it. it's a long con
2: i mean it's fun i guess it's hopeful <laughs> if you want him to do well i see i see why you would want to believe it i do see why if i was a fan of his team maybe i would maybe i would like parrot that but from an objective point, I just I just can't.
1: Nathan, thoughts. You can't go at this one with logic. Like this is not <laughs> true. This is, just, this is just false. If you if you ever see defensive as shoot a jump shot, like you know this, you you know this is not true. But at the same time, how sick would it be if it actually turns out to be true and the Sixers show up in the finals this year, which they have a chance to? And Ben Simmons shoots fifty percent from three, and also fifty percent. By the way, like, like you also ha- do have to have like some sort of like shots qualifier on that because one for two is also fifty percent. So like,
0: all right, all right. Uh, let me let me just set the scene. Let me set the scene really quick. Game seven in the NBA finals. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, the
1: game six, but it's Chris Bosh passing out to Ben
0: Simmons instead yes, of okay, Ray okay, it's, it's a, it's, a, let's just say it's a big moment later in the series, 76ers versus Phoenix suns. That's, that's the matchup. I'm, I'm project, projecting right here. Shot goes up. It's a miss clock running down. Joel Embiid rushes in, grabs rebound. He's looking for players to, 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 to look open. Tobias Harris covered. Shake Milton covered. Everybody's covered except for Ben Simmons. No one thinks to go check him on the perimeter. Time running down. and throws it. Simmons breaks out an entirely different jump shot form and cans the three to win the game. Would that not be the greatest thing of all time? That's all I have to say. I, have to say. I think it's realistic. I think it's true. I, I'm just <laughs> for now.
1: It's not true.
2: <laughs> I, I'm sure. I, I
1: have to see it to believe it.
2: <laughs> I'm sure he also wishes this were true. I just don't <laughs> think that it is.
0: Every night, Ben Simmons goes to sleep and it's like, tomorrow's the day. <laughs> tomorrow's the day all right we have two more conspiracy theories for you Emery. thank you for being game with us these ones rely mostly on pictures um for these last two um we'll do we'll save the my favorite for last and nathan's favorite for last but we're gonna do adam silver the um commissioner of the nba and the um conspiracy theory is, is that adam silver is a vampire if you look at him, he has a very distinct way of looking. Looks like he could turn into a bat at a moment's notice. Looks like perhaps he drinks blood for fun. Adam Silver, great man. One of the better commissioners, even though he has his flaws, of course. I think he's a vampire. The things he does, the, the hours he spends on the NBA is superhuman, I dare say.
2: Okay, so I don't... I don't think that there are vampires, but I think if there were, he would be one. So my, like, like the, the, the limiting part of my belief is not my belief that this man looks like a vampire. It's just that I don't super think that as a concept, that's a thing, but looking at him, I mean, yeah, the last name being Silver seems to fit somehow. He clearly does not, like, if we're believing the thing about vampires not going out in the sun, I'm looking at some pictures of him where he looks like he has not gone outside for years on end. Um, and also just something about this being his job fits with me. Like, I don't, there has to be something, I don't know. There has to be something off about you. I feel like to be like, yes, commissioner of the NBA. So like, again, I see it. I just, I'm not sure I'm willing to go all the way because of the the limiting vampire factor. Um, his his bald head is just especially disconcerting to me, and I don't know why.
0: Yeah, the other part of the argument that hasn't mentioned is he's looked the same for I'd say twenty five years at this point. This is what he's looked like. Is that because he's immortal? Is that, that is, he came back from one trip to Transylvania too many?
2: That is an I, interesting addition, definitely.
1: I think it's just because he doesn't have hair like that. That's that's sort of the most reliable way that you can tell that you can tell aging and like you know they they have makeup to worry about worry about all the other stuff um but but my personal opinion is um I I don't know like this one really could (laughs) this one really could go either way because he does look like it. he looks like he's never aged he's never aged over the last 25 years um and also like I read something that like that like the, the NBA has some sort of like has some sort of blood tests, um, and that's like part of this crackpot theory. Um, I I don't know I, I don't know. It, Where did the blood
0: tests go? Who's testing them? Is Adam? Yeah, so exactly. Them but themselves? also at the same Absolutely.
1: time, when when we're this deep into the iceberg, it's like like again facts and logic and reason don't really matter all that much. It's believe what you want to believe.
2: I mean, his ears could absolutely turn into bat wings. Like, no question about it. That is a true fact. Um,
1: yeah. Okay, but then now, now we're kind of getting into, though, what's the difference between a bat and a vampire?
0: Well, vampires turn into bats. You need to have the batting ability to be a good vampire. Okay. I, I just realized I said that 100% seriously. Um, <laughs> we're, getting, we're getting real deep in here which is why we're going to go to our last one and the best one, arguably. This is the best one. Let me just let me just set the scene here. To the left is Wilt Chamberlain, um, one of the greatest basketball players of all time, uh, scored 100 points in a game, insane athlete, um, led the league in rebounds, got 50 rebounds in a game, I'm pretty sure. Just insane. He, he
1: had one season so, where he averaged 50 points a game. Average.
0: Wilt Chamberlain also had a proclivity of meeting different women and having relations with them. He well known for that fact. Um, there are some crazy statistics out there. To your right is Otto Porter, a former Georgetown basketball player, uh, current NBA player, uh, not known for, you know, he hasn't had the, the craziest NBA career, got a big contract with the Washington Wizards, but since been traded to the Bulls and then the Magic, I believe. Conspiracy theory is this: Will Chamberlain is Otto Porter's grandfather. Look at this picture. <laughs> they have the many of the same facial features. Um, they both play basketball. They're both very tall. I don't know, Nathan. What do you think? Is this is this true? This this has to be true. Like this is a fact. Look at this photo and think about the fact that
1: Will Chamberlain claims to have slept with twenty thousand different women. Like. <laughs> Is it 20,000 or 10,000? I, I can't remember which.
0: <laughs> it's, it's in that range. That's all but I have to say.
1: It, it is in that range. Look at this photo. They're both basketball players. Um, Otto's like relatively tall too. He's like six, seven, six, eight, that area. Um, obviously a great Hoya. Got got to shout him out there. Big East player of the year 2013. Um, yeah, this, this, this the photo tells you all I mean like like this this is a this is a fact like this isn't a crackpot theory this is a fact
2: this this is another one I really want to be true because it would be (laughs) such a cool story right like this feels like you know like the young adult novels where like someone finds out they have a famous parent and they go on a journey to find them like this feels like that um I don't know I mean I feel like I'm on the level of like see what a DNA test says like I don't know I don't know if I'm all the way in but like if I were him I would be I would be interested I would be intrigued I would definitely be questioning some things um yeah I don't know I'm I'm, I'm always a little bit hesitant just on like the the the, the paternity ones just because there's so many different you know factors that can lead to people looking alike but I do it is it does feel like a a noticeable coincidence if it is a coincidence
0: <laughs> and auto porter might not be the greatest player of the current age in the nba but you put him back in wilts time i think he'd be putting up similar numbers i think they have similar physical capabilities um
1: oh i can't even or, get into that debate that that's that's not true
0: auto <laughs> porter um go, go on the maury show uh we need you to uh t- to to figure some stuff out for us um if you have pictures of you with your maternal and paternal grandparents, please submit them to um, editor at georgetownvoice.com so Anne-Marie can take a look at them. Um, That was our final conspiracy theory. Um, All of them harebrained. um, Some of them more true than others, even though I would argue every single one of them was true. Uh, Anne-Marie, thank you so much for coming on today and giving us your established takes as a conspiracy theory expert they were very helpful what were your thoughts on being on our podcast for the first time
2: yeah i really i really enjoyed it i think it's helpful these are these are things i know about um even though <laughs> don't know about sports i would say generally my last take on the conspiracy theories all the like pr one based ones are definitely true right it's the ones where i'm a little bit unclear as to why if this were true it would be hidden um, or like, well, I guess vampire makes sense, but you know, but all the, all the like PR ones, all the big money interests, a hundred percent, a hundred percent all true. Um, and you guys, you guys picked out some great, some great theories here. So I appreciate that.
0: Well, thank you, Emery. You'll have to give us your second time call one of these days. Um, Nathan, any final words?
1: Auto Porter and Will Chamberlain are definitely related. It's all there.
0: <laughs> this is this is fact i know for a fact that nathan's first tattoo is gonna be like the back of his calf and be like will to his auto's grandfather um that's all the time we have here um thank you for joining us on the voice podcast network um for nathan chen i'm ron thank you Anne marie for joining us today and uh we're done we're off
1: peace